Well, this past Wednesday, we recognized Ash Wednesday, right? So for many of you, you would have recognized that day. It's the beginning of the Lenten season, the journey to Lent. And a few weeks ago, you may have recalled that Pastor Richard talked about these six weeks that come between Epiphany and Ash Wednesday, and he called them Ordinary Time. That's what it's, Pastor Richard didn't make up that name. That's what it's called. It's called Ordinary Time within the liturgical church calendar. But it's kind of a funny term, isn't it? So after that Sunday, I did a little bit more research on it. So I, I found it very um, interesting, that term. So we use the word ordinary in our everyday vocabulary to mean nothing special, like just plain, right? So not anything special, regular, just regular everyday moments. So the hundreds of kind of routine days that we have in any given year. But the Oxford Dictionary defines that word ordinary as not unusual, or different in any way. Yeah, so it's ordinary. Usually those kinds of ordinary days we don't tend to remember, right? You ask somebody what you did yesterday or like what did you eat for breakfast yesterday, you probably don't even recall. These are not the days that we tend to remember. We remember the special days, right? Our mountaintop experiences. So what kind of mountaintop experiences do you remember the most? Well, for me, I remember giving birth to my first child, Sophie, that day days will be etched in my memory forever. And you probably remember your wedding day, right? Or a special anniversary or big birthday celebration you might have had. Or for, I know for a lot of youth, when they go to a youth event like Blizzard and they gave their life to Christ the first time, they remember that experience so well. But we also remember our lowest points as well, right? The valley experiences, And sadly, those ones stay with us as well, just as much as the mountaintop experiences. So my husband, he was at the first service, so but he said I could share this story with you. We celebrated 18 wedding anniversaries together, and honestly, I cannot remember most of them. I I was trying to, as I was preparing today, I thought, okay, let me try to remember one other anniversary than the worst one we ever had, and I couldn't do it. So I will share with you the worst one that we ever had, which was our our, uh, valley experience. So it was in 2007, and we had gone on a trip, and I was pregnant. So I didn't know when we booked our trip that I was going to be pregnant. So we were surprised to find out, but we were going to be in Morocco and Portugal. And on the last day of that trip... Oh, we had the worst food poisoning you could ever imagine. I had, I'd never had it before. It was the only time I've ever had food poisoning. We were violently ill. And the next day, we were supposed to fly to London, and we were going to eat at a restaurant that we had eaten at before, and we loved that restaurant. We were really looking forward to it. That was going to be our special anniversary dinner. Well, we somehow made it through the plane ride, which I think I blank, blacked that out because it was it was so bad, that plane ride experience. But we got there, and then we called the restaurant right away and said, we are not coming tonight. And we ended up having the equivalent of, uh, the British equivalent of Lipton cup of soup that night for dinner. But that <laughs> that anniversary meal is the most memorable one that I have had in those 18 years that we've been together. And like MCBC, we're celebrating at CBM a very big anniversary, as Pastor Richard said, 150 years. But it's really not CBM celebration. It's going to be a mountaintop experience to celebrate Canadian Baptists working together in global mission. It's going to be a mountaintop experience for all of us to remember. And while I look forward to those kinds of anniversaries and milestones, I want us today to think about the time that falls in between those things. So the ordinary time. Because ordinary time is not actually what that name implies. 
because actually extraordinary things happen in ordinary times, even as we wait for that next big moment, that next big celebration. The advancing of God's kingdom happens not just in those mountaintop times. It happens in the small, everyday actions of faithful people. And most people would look at those actions and they'd say, well, that's nothing special. Well, when you put those faithful actions together from ordinary people like me and you, working together with the work of the Holy Spirit, you will find extraordinary results. As God's mission people, faithfulness is about how we trust and we sustain and live out our lives. Yes, in those mountaintop times and in those valley moments, but more so in how we live in the in-between, in the ordinariness of the regular work that God calls us to do and how, who he calls us to be while we're doing it. So today I want to share with you three ideas about how we can faithfully follow Jesus into our troubled world as his mission people. What does it mean to be faithful in ordinary time? Well, first, we have to remember that God uses ordinary people to do that work. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Hebrews 3. It's also going to be up on the screen, and I'll just read it uh, out for us. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So in this chapter, we're given two examples of faithfulness. First, Moses, but then Jesus. Jesus shows us the example of perfect faithfulness. Okay, who here remembers the WWJD movement? The what would Jesus do? You had the bracelet. You admit it. Pastor Richard had the bracelet. WWJD. I don't know if you remember. That was a big thing. What would Jesus do? Right? And we need to ask ourselves that question. I agree. It was maybe a little glib to be doing that on a bracelet. But what would Jesus do? And sometimes we look at the example of Jesus and we think, well, we can't, I can't live up to that example. Baby steps. I mean, just take a breath. Baby steps, right? We're not going to be Jesus in every, every uh, situation that we're going to be put in. We take baby steps to become more like Christ. But we can also look at the example of other leaders in the Bible and say, well, maybe what would Moses do? So in this case, let's think about what would Moses, so it's WWMD maybe, uh, what would Moses do? Who in verse 5 is called a faithful servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So Moses is one of the great leaders of the Bible, right? He did incredible things, like incredible things. When you look at his life, you think that there's a story of an incredible life experience. But he really was just an ordinary person, wasn't he? I mean, despite the fact that he had the royal connection from when he was a, a baby, uh, he really was an ordinary person. Over his life, we would see him react whenever God would call him to do things in ways that we would react. 
Right? So when God calls us to do something, what's the first thing we say is like, oh, why me? Like, why would you call me? There's so many better people to be able to do that. There's more qualified, equipped people to do that. And then secondly, we might try to run away. Right? So these are all things that Moses did as well. So what was actually special about Moses was that God showed up and chose him to do the work on his behalf. And then God took his efforts and he made them extraordinary. And it wasn't that Moses had superpowers. He was an ordinary person. But God took the work Moses did and his faithfulness and then made the results of that extraordinary. So when we think about Moses, we tend to think about his mountaintop experiences, right? So like, the, you know, it makes for a great movie. So like the burning bush and the parting of the sea and, right, bringing down the tablets, all of those extraordinary mountaintop experiences. But what was really his greatest act of faithfulness, in my opinion? You may disagree with me, but in my opinion, what was his greatest act of faithfulness? Forty years wandering in a wilderness with a grumbling bunch of complaining, ungrateful, unfaithful followers wandering through a wilderness for 40 years. Like Moses, in the greater plan of God, he calls us ordinary people to do his work on earth. And for each one of us, it's going to look different. What he has called me to, I'm so grateful, but it's going to be different than what he calls Estella to do. All of it, though, is of equal importance in the work of God's kingdom. The work Pastor Richard does is no more, more important, sorry, than the work <laughs> that every one of you does for the work of God's kingdom. And you will find that in your ordinariness, God will empower you to do things you did not think you were capable of doing. I know Bill and Janice Dick very well. They've been my colleagues for almost 20 years. They're just ordinary people, but they're faithful. Be faithful in what God has called you to do in the place that he has put you. The second idea is that we must remember that our primary job is to be dealers of hope. So last month, Nabil Costa, he's the head of our partner in Lebanon, he came to visit our staff and he shared in a chapel session, he said this, we have a job to do as Christians. We must be dealers of hope. That phrase has really stuck with me. We, as the body of Christ, often spend our time arguing about a lot of things that are not important. We spend a lot of time wasting our energies on things that are not important. Meanwhile, we have work to do as dealers of hope. In verse 12 of our chapter, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. I want to share with you a story from Nabil's country of Lebanon, a very troubled country. And it illustrates what it looks like to be a dealer of hope when we come together and hold on to our convictions until the end of time, till the brokenness of our world. As you know, it has been about 10 years since the Syrian refugee crisis started. And in that time, about one and a half million refugees, the Syrian refugees, have crossed the border into Lebanon. So Lebanon is not a large country. It's a population of about four million people. So if you can imagine one and a half million people 
added on to a population of 4 million. So that's about a 25% increase in your population. So the, the impact of that was staggering on their economy and in their society in general. And the Syrians were not exactly welcomed by the Lebanese with open arms. So if you know the history of those two countries, you know that they have been enemies for decades, right? There was war between those two countries. And as thousands of Syrian refugees began pouring over the border into Lebanon each day, the initial feeling of most people there was anger and resentment. After all, this is their enemy, right? People who had occupied their country for 20 years our field staff, our Lebanese field staff, shared that as children, they were taught to hate Syrians. And now those children had grown into adults who watched as their enemies came into their communities, uninvited and desperately seeking help. And suddenly the church in Lebanon had to ask itself a question. How far are we going to go to welcome the stranger? They had to ask themselves what it really means to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself particularly when you don't even want them in your neighborhood. A Baptist church in the Bekaa Valley, which is on that border between the two countries, they did something remarkable. They opened up their doors and their hearts and their arms to embrace their enemies, and they welcomed them in like family. And the pastor from this church, he had visited here a few years ago, and he recounted his experience like this. I grew up in fear and anger, and I used to cross the road running to my school trying to escape snipers. I escaped two big car explosions by a few minutes while going to university. I escaped bombs many times. And now it was their turn to pay the price. Isn't that the natural reaction? We prayed for God to take our revenge, to destroy their land as they did to ours, to sink their country with blood and tears. And this is what's happening now. Shouldn't we be thrilled But something strange has happened. Where are those negative feelings that we had? Instead, our hearts are aching for their pain. Our prayers are continuous for their country. Our church is working day and night to help them, to heal their wounds, to wipe their tears, to feed their children. Our love is real and genuine for them. What a paradigm shift. What amazing grace. What a wonderful Savior and Master we have. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. But also, Father, forgive us, for we don't know what we do and what we say and what we pray many times. We are now serving thousands of families. We are visiting them one by one, trying to help them with both hands, spiritually and physically. Thank God for the wonderful and burdened team who are serving with love. Many of the families are now coming to church on a regular basis. Hundreds have given their lives to the Lord We repeatedly hear we had the wrong idea about Christianity. Now is the time to reveal our Christ. We at CBM have had the privilege and joy of working alongside this church and many others in Lebanon since the start of this crisis, trying to help extend the love of Christ through words and deeds, welcoming people into the body of Christ. For thousands of Muslim families, that monthly box of food staples and the loving care of a local Baptist church in their neighborhood has what one one mother remarked as Christ coming down to the earth in the form of food. As a result, thousands of people have come to accept Jesus because of this outpouring of love and acceptance they found in Christian community with people who should have regarded them as enemies. 
The Syrian refugee crisis was a valley moment in the history of humankind. But it's in those everyday moments during those 10 years since this crisis started that we can see that God's work of redemption is nothing but extraordinary. There is now an unprecedented openness to the gospel in the Arab world that has never been experienced in history. That is what I hear from every source, all our partners working in that area of the world. The Spirit is working in an unprecedented way in history in that part of the world. There is now greater opportunity for the gospel to be shared than ever in previously closed countries. There is a thirst to know Jesus among Muslim background believers, and we see that here in our own church, and we see that in our neighborhoods, and we see that all over the world. As we live out what it means to be faithful as his church in ordinary moments, we see him doing extraordinary things. And we want to be on the front lines of that. As part of the global church, we need to be focused on what he is doing. So make yourself aware of what God is doing in different parts of the world. Be alert to what is happening right here in our neighborhood, but also on the other side of the world. Pray daily for MCBC that we would help accomplish his plan. Let's pray that we would continue to be his dealers of hope. Lastly, to live faithfully, we can't give in to the temptation of becoming indifferent. You've probably read the alarming statistics coming out of COVID. Uh, None of them are, are good news. Like when you read some of the statistics of what COVID has done, um, it's, it's staggering. And often we feel so powerless to some of the great global challenges of our time. So many of the things Jean mentioned in her prayer, poverty, homelessness, hunger, I mean, there is so much. There are 830 million people hungry, 830 million hungry people in our world. Think about that. There are millions of displaced people, right? We see conflict, Ukraine, Yemen, Afghanistan, Syria. There are so many places. There is no doubt we live in a broken world. Does it feel overwhelming sometimes? Do you look at that and just go, what can I do? I doesn't make any difference. Sometimes I hear that. doesn't make any difference what I do. I'm just one person. Sometimes it's exhausting, right? It's emotionally exhausting for us to think about those things. The work of bringing hope and healing and transformation in the midst of this brokenness really can be too much sometimes for us. We just feel overwhelmed by it. And we think we have very little impact and it leads to something Pope Francis called to the globalization of indifference, right? Where we just shut down. We shut down our hearts and our minds because these things are too painful for us to witness and we don't know what to do about them. So we just feel powerless. And so we become indifferent, right? So you may have heard this before, that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And if we are to understand God's will and plan for this world, we can't fall into that trap of shutting down from the bad news that we hear, that we think is everywhere, that permeates everywhere in our news feeds. And if you think this is the whole story of what God is doing in our world, you are reading the wrong book. The story of our God made flesh, who came to dwell among us and continues to dwell with us through the Holy Spirit, is a good news story. And it's one of grace, of redemption, and of hope. 
And this is the lens through which we must view the world. What does Romans 12, 2 tell us? Anyone? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conforming to the patterns of this world. It doesn't mean that we get to tune out what is happening, but we get to choose to see the world as God sees it, full of possibilities. We must vigorously guard our minds and our hearts and our souls from the temptation of becoming indifferent to the pain of our world. Guarding your soul, that's a whole other sermon, maybe if I'm ever invited back. Guarding our souls from that in our culture is not easy to do. Right? We are tempted constantly to turn our attention elsewhere. Verse 15 of our chapter says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. On the days you want to just hide and lament and say, well, Canada used to be a Christian country. And well, guess what? That means we got a lot more work to do, right? There are, there, we have a lot more work to do. The job he is calling us to do is no less than it was back in those days. It looks different and it maybe it feels a lot harder, but he still expects us to faithfully devote all of our energy and our focus and our passion into it. And despite what we think, Christianity is still growing everywhere. It's growing globally, except in the West. So that tells us we got a lot of work to do here, right? Do we see that as defeat or do we see that as an opportunity? It means we have to attune ourselves to the spirit so our hearts do not become hardened. What do you think is the percentage of young people in our world? So young, I define as being under 30. What do you think is the percentage of people under 30 in our world? It's over 50%. That is amazing. 50% of our global population is under the age of 30. 2.6 billion people are under the age of 20. Think about the possibilities of being able to reach this next generation with Jesus Christ. God's spirit is actively working in so many places around the world. We have an opportunity here. How will we seize that? To be faithful in these times means that we have to hold on to the firm belief that God will accompany us in that work. He doesn't call us to do things that he's not going to go with us, right? He doesn't call us to do things without the spirit, right? How will we seize the opportunities to be his faithful workers when the harvest is plentiful, which is right now, the harvest is plentiful. He is not done and we are not done. Our work is not done. All we have to do is say yes. Say yes to being his mission people and trust he will do extraordinary things. So today, my dear brothers and sisters of MCBC, we are standing on a threshold, that little piece that separates us from what is behind to what is ahead. And the legacy of this church is not in the 50 years that have passed but what God is already planning for its future as part of his kingdom work on earth. And we are his frontline workers. What a gift. We get to be his frontline workers. 
So let's continue to pray that the story of our faithfulness in being God's mission people here at MCBC is just getting started. We are his church. Let's pray that we will continue to follow him faithfully in ordinary times, in extraordinary times, as we wait for the coming of his kingdom here on earth. Let's pray together. Our God, we give thanks to you that we get to be your frontline workers. We're grateful to you that you call us to do work that you've already started. We're not starting anything. Your Holy Spirit is already working in the places that you lead us. We ask, God, that you would continue to guide and to bless this church in all that you have called us to be and to do, Lord. May we be the hands and feet and voice of Christ in a world of brokenness that sorely needs to know the good news of the gospel. Let us be your dealers of hope in every circumstance that you lead us to. Father, we give you thanks for you are good. We pray all this in your name. Amen.